morning. Turn your Bibles with us, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6 within God's Word as we continue with games people play. And don't you know, people play games with us. And God wants you to be an overcomer, a winner at those games. But there's also the games we play with ourselves. But God also wants you to be an overcomer in that as well. How many, how many grew up with this game? How many remember this game? How many remember this TV commercial? Play that right now. H7. Hit. D6. Miss. H8. Hit. C5. Battleship, a great game of strategy, action, and suspense. Miss H6. You sank my battleship. A game you can play anywhere. Battleship from Milton Bradley. <laughs> what was that he said? How many played Battleship growing up? How many still play it? Oh, oh my, yeah, they are here. Wow, there's a bunch of them here. Battleship. I looked it up. It's a guessing game, a guessing game for two players. The plastic board game version was introduced by Milton Bradley in 1967. Battleship, where you never, ever know at what moment, at what time, your battleship will be sunk. Battleship's a game of stress, a game of worry. You have a Ph.D. in worry. You worry about your finances. Huh? You worry about your kids. You worry uh, if you'll ever find true love. Some worry because they're not married. A lot of others worry because they are married. Some constantly worry about failure, that they'll end up as losers, while others worry constantly about their, their health. Adults worry about their bodies' bulges and baldness and bunions. Don't laugh, young people. At least we don't have zits. I don't care what season in life there's something to worry about. I mean, senior citizens, they enter the metallic age. They've got gold in their teeth, they've got silver in their hair, and lead in their pants. Every season in life has its worries. Worry can't change the past, but it can poison the present, and it can ruin all of your tomorrows. Worry. You've heard me say it before, it's a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. Jesus spoke a lot about worry. Look there in Matthew chapter 6 with me this morning and hear the word of the Lord beginning in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Five times Jesus says in this chapter, do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, a lot of us worry about what we'll eat or drink or about your body. 
Seems like when I get with my generation anymore, all we talk about are our aches, our pains, and our latest surgeries. Or what you will wear. Now, pastor, you're meddling, some of the women are saying. Is not life more than food? Some of us have a hard time being convinced about that. And the body more than clothes. For the pagans, the heathens, the world, they run after all these things. And your heavenly Father, He knows that you need them. Why doubt that? He knows more about what you need than you know yourself. If we're not to worry, if we're not to focus on our fears, our problems, our needs, what are we to focus on? Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that you tend to worry about will be given to you as well. May God bless the reading of his word this hour where Jesus says, don't worry. Because worry is really a sugar-coated term that many of us use for a far deadlier game that God wants you to be a winner at, an overcomer at. What kind of game am I talking about? Fear. Worry is nothing more than a sugar-coated, spiritualized word or term that we often use and what we're really gripped with are deadly fears. Fear has sunk the dreams, the hopes, the joys, the peace, the health of countless millions more than anything I know. Fear is probably one of our oldest adversaries and enemies. It's a game that God doesn't want you to lose at. When you and I are confronted with this contest, God's will, and it's our theme for 2016, is for you and I to be overcomers for the glory of God. This morning we preach a word, and I hope you can follow along with me in the sermon study guide. You sunk my battleship. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask and pray, Lord, that we will not witness, Lord, the sinking of hopes and dreams. We will not, oh God, see the sinking of peace and joy and real life because of fear. In the name of Jesus, Lord, call us to be overcomers for your glory. Amen and amen. Write it down with me this morning. Playing the game of worry or fear means there's something you cannot control. The bottom line of fear and worry is that it's a control issue. There's something going on in your life, going on in my life, your world, my world, that irritates us, that frustrates us, that uh, depresses us because we cannot control it. We can't have our own way with it. If I was to find... If I was to identify or define what fear and worry is, there it is. 
I can't have my own way. I can't control the outcome. It's uncertain. It's out of my hands. And we can tend to get irritated with God because we're not the king of the universe and he is. It's out of our control. Both the Bible and science agree on the lethal nature of fear. Without a doubt, psychologists have identified at least 75 different fears or phobias. Oh, there's arachnophobia. Pastor Hal is plagued seriously with this deadly, deadly fear. Pastor Hal would say, oh, he's not here. Okay. <laughs> what, what is arachnophobia? Oh, fear of spiders. What is, what is, what is, if scientists have described and identified 75 different phobias of mind-numbing, heart-paralyzing, fear-provoking fears, what is the phobia for wrong boyfriends, wrong future mates? I'll have to look that one up because I was seized with it this weekend. On Friday night, when Dr. Ben Carson speaks, and, and I've been privileged as your pastor to give the benediction down in Lakeland, Florida, when Dr. Ben Carson speaks at the graduation of Southeastern University, my youngest, my Jenny, will walk across the platform, the stage, and receive her diploma and graduate. Hallelujah. Prayer works. Prayer works. But my daughter this weekend had her junior-senior banquet, the big uh, formal to-do uh, uh, at her university, her school. It's the biggest event of the year, and she had a date, and she has now announced that she's fallen in love big time. She is hit, I mean it, big time. She sent me a text that she has found her one true love, and she sent me the picture. They took these formal pictures at the banquet, and uh, this is the picture that your pastor received over the weekend. Why are you laughing? Yeah, that's the same way I felt. <laughs> I'll tell you, I looked at that as, oh, dear Jesus. Dear Jesus, nothing against that poor soul, okay? Young people, I am not being condemning, but wait till you're a parent. That was never my, my, my idea for my daughter uh, to fall in love with. Uh, that's just not my perfect picture, uh, whatever. And I sent her back a text message. I said, Jenny, whatever melts your butter, you'll have to live with it. And then I got back, ha, 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 ha. And then she sent me the true picture. Oh. Yeah. yeah. That's, now, now you have some empathy with me of what I've had to live with for 22 years. I don't know where she gets that from, of this teasing nature. My wife will tell you it doesn't come from her side of the family. 
she loves pulling my chain. And, and uh, you talk about your pastor caving into some phobia, some fear. My, my, my. Fear. Fear. Fear, you agree with me, will fill your face with wrinkles. Fear will rob you of your body, uh, of rest at night. Fear can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Job uh, said, the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. For instance, those who constantly keep their fingers on their pulse to see if they're still alive are plagued with fear. They're so sure they're dying of some exotic disease because they went online. WebMD told them so. They're, they're filled with fear. Medical science has confirmed the, the link between fear and, and sickness. Fear can be the mother of cancer. Fear can be the author of heart disease, high blood pressure, ulcers, and a host of other diseases. Fear has sent millions of Christians to the cemetery long before their appointed time. Men and women who knew the Prince of Peace yet caved into fear. I want you to know theologically and biblically that there was a day that fear was birthed and born. Fear has not always walked and stalked our planet. Fear, since its birth, has been masterfully used by Satan as one of his deadliest, deadliest weapons of mass destruction. Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 2, walked in perfect holiness and harmony with God. They saw God face to face. That has not been possible with any man before or since. They walked with God in perfect holiness and harmony. And then chapter 3. Eve deceived. Adam wasn't. Mark it well. Adam was never deceived. Adam did not want to lose Eve he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew intentionally and consciously that he rebelled. He disobeyed God's commandment. He bit of the fruit, the forbidden fruit. Sin was ushered into the world. And then they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. And God called out, Adam, Adam. Where art thou? And Adam and Eve hid among the trees, the Bible says. And Adam answered in verse 10, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. You see that word afraid? That's the first time that fear shows up. It's the birth of fear. You see, fear... Fear has been spawned by sin, and it is utilized by Satan as his deadliest weapon. He uses it to trip people up time and time again. The Bible is clear. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. If God hasn't given it, who has? Disease has sickened its thousands. But the devil has successively used fear to eternally condemn 
millions, millions of souls. Fear caused Abraham to lie about his wife Sarah, and she ended up in the king's harem, and he almost lost the promise. There almost was no Israel. There almost was no Jesus because of fear. Fear made Israel's greatest warriors run to their tents to the roar of the giant Goliath. Fear made King Saul a people pleaser instead of a God pleaser, and he lost the kingship. He lost the kingdom because of it. Fear caused the prophet Elijah, who had just experienced his greatest achievement, his greatest revival. Fear caused this prophet of God to run for his life. From who? A woman, Queen Jezebel. And with suicidal thoughts, he cries out, God, kill me. I no longer want to live. Fear caused the disciples to abandon, desert, jump ship with Jesus. Fear caused Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, Simon Peter denied his only Savior, his only Lord, and he laced it with cursing and profanity, all because of a fear. The Bible is a record of how fear has brought down the greatest, the mightiest, the strongest, the wisest. Amami ran into her five-year-old son's bedroom who was whimpering and crying at night for his mommy. And she said, Johnny, Johnny, what's wrong? He says, Mommy, I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of what might be in my closet. I'm afraid of what might be under my bed. Mommy, would you stay the night with me? Oh, Johnny, I wish I could. But uh, Mommy's got to sleep with Daddy tonight. As Mommy was walking away, she heard Johnny whisper, My Daddy, that big sissy. (laughs) Fear is not an isolated spiritual disease. Did you hear me in this? Fear refuses to remain isolated in me, myself, and I. Fear is an infection. Fear is a contagion. Mark it down. The spirit of fear can be a deadly spiritual cancer to your home, your church, to your walk with God. Are you speaking faith talk or are you speaking fear talk in your home? All I need is one member in this church to start confessing that God does not author the miraculous any longer, that God does not heal any longer. And we've opened the door to the contagion, the spiritual cancer called fear. Fear devours your faith for today and your hope for tomorrow. Fear can cause you to doubt God and His promises. Fear will paralyze your praise and your prayer life. It will rob you of the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. It's 
contagious, it's infectious, it's a black cloud infecting your family and those around you. It will quarantine you from the presence of God and guarantee you a life of defeat instead of victory. You've heard me share it so many times. Honey, sir, ma'am, young person, it's not how you start out. It's how you finish. As I'm running this chapter of my life, as I'm in this season of my life in ministry, I'm finding it more difficult to live the Christian life and finish strong. There, my dad used to tell me about how tough the temptations would get as you get older. I find as you get older, you become more cynical. Tend, you can tend towards becoming more cynical, more critical, more doubtful, more casual as a Christian. More, there's a greater tendency to compromise and to cave in and to cop out. Honey, sir, ma'am, it's not how you start out. It's how you finish. It's how you finish. It's how you finish. And my admonition to you, brother and sister in the Lord, finish strong. Don't give up the fight. Ask God for fresh passion. Ask Him to restore first love in you. Don't grow cold in your heart towards the things of God. Israel. Israel. A generation of Israelites, they were running their last chapter, their last lap, they stood on the very edge, they stood on the very threshold of God's best for their lives. What am I talking about? They were at the very threshold of the promised land, their inheritance from God, God's best. They had run the laps of seeing the miracles. They had, they had walked through the chapters of wilderness uh, journey, uh, chapters of victory, chapters of God being faithful, chapters where God made a way where there seemed to be no way, and they walked on dry ground instead of being wet with the water of the Red Sea. Now at the threshold of promised land living, God's best... They send 12 spies into the promised land to come back with a report, to come back with a strategy, to come back with a word. What kind of a word did the majority of the spies come back with? Was it a, a word of faith or a word of fear? They came back and they said, surely it is a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord has said, but there's giants in the land and we seem as grasshoppers in their sight and our sight as well. We cannot do it. In the last chapter of that generation's life, they caved in to fear instead of faith. They failed God's test they missed out on God's best for their lives in the last chapter, in the last lap of the race of faith. And they were condemned by God to 40 years of attending funerals until that whole generation died out. I want to ask you a question this morning. I want you to do an introspective diagnostic 
study. Are you letting fear? Are you letting fear? I don't care if you call it worry, fear, or concern. Are you letting fear keep you from God's best? Irregardless of how long you've worn the name tag Christian, it doesn't matter how long you've been a member here at Lakeside Assembly of God or how high you hold your hands in praise and worship and sing our songs. If you're entertaining a spirit of fear, you're a practicing atheist. We cannot have a Ph.D. in worry and trust God at the same time. Worry is nothing more than fear, which is faith rejection. I remind you again what Paul said there in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Fear comes through unbelief. Fear is unbelief. And unbelief makes God a liar. How many, how many, how many sit in our churches week after week after week singing with their hands raised, our God reigns, yet they're numbered among the fearful and the unbelieving. How serious a matter is it to be fearful? How serious is it to be controlled, controlled, controlled by our fears? How serious? Revelation tells us, but the fearful, unbelieving, notice that those two terms are tied together, shall have their part in what? The lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God treats it deadly, eternally serious. Well, pastor, how do I overcome? How do I overcome the spirit of fear? Oh, fill in the blank with me. Faith in a God who cannot and will not fail. You will always overcome fear. Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Think of it, by faith. Noah, for 120 years, he preached in one hand and he held a hammer in another. He built an ark, a boat that would float in the time of judgment without a black and decker saw. He took his family's luggage. He took his family of eight. They boarded that boat and they had the cruise of cruises because of dad's faith, because dad heard from God. And because dad heard from God, the entire family was saved. By faith, by faith, little boy David, when all the warriors of Israel failed, when King Saul, who was head and shoulders above every other man, caved into fear, little boy David said, I have, I have clubbed to death the lion. I have clubbed to death the bear. The Lord has quickened my hand with this, and I will do also with that giant Goliath. And here comes Goliath out roaring, this human armored tank of a man. And David, without a bazooka, 
bazooka, without an RPG, without even an M16 rifle. All this little boy had was a slingshot. But he also had the word of the Lord. And he came running to the roar of David, of Goliath. And he said, Goliath, you come to me with sword, spear, and shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord that the entire house of Israel will declare the battle is the Lord's. There it is. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And by faith, by faith, by faith, they chose not to bow to the king's golden statue. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace instead of screaming in pain, instead of being French fried instantly in that fire. Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego were able to say, and this is my paraphrase, it's cool in the furnace. Daniel, Daniel, when they told him don't pray, he prayed three times a day. And by faith, uh, this man had a backbone instead of a wishbone. And the king threw him into the lion's den. And God shut the mouth of those lions. That night, Daniel slept and the king couldn't sleep, the Bible says. Because by faith, by faith, by faith, God won the victory by faith in the shadow of the headman's axe. Paul the Apostle, he didn't kowtow. Paul the Apostle didn't cave in, compromise, or cop out. Paul the Apostle, in the last chapter of his life, said, I have fought the good fight. Uh, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And so will you too, as you remain faithful to the Lord, and confess His promises and make His promises your promises as you own the Word of the Lord. By faith, by faith, faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is the mastery over it. All of us struggle with fear. You're not human if you don't struggle with fear. My wife will tell you, your pastor has not yet achieved that golden stage in life that I don't on Saturdays go into a fear spell on Saturdays and get nervous about Sunday morning. She knows to leave me alone. I, I can't go to parties. I, I have a real difficult time remaining focused on people things because I'm so focused on Sunday morning and a fear would like to take hold of me. But I take it to the Lord. There's the difference. All of us encounter, all of us wrestle, all of us grapple with fears. Jesus did. Read the Garden of Gethsemane. Read that episode in the life of our Lord. He was so gripped with fear that he asked his disciples, tarry with me one hour in prayer. Would you pray with me? My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. I'm so depressed. I'm so gripped with a black bout of fear. I feel like dying. Father, Father, if it be possible, let this pop cup pass from me. He wrestled with fear. 
He confronted his fears, but then he took his fear and gave it to his father, God. And suddenly, out of the Garden of Gethsemane, we hear a shout of victory. What was that shout of victory? Not my will, but thy will be done. And victory was won in the garden. The Calvary was victory. It was won in the garden of Gethsemane for you and I even before Jesus was hung on the cross. When as I'm preaching about fear this morning, I don't want to put a guilt trip on anyone. We all grapple with our fears. The issue is, what are you doing with it? Are you entertaining them? Are you embracing them? Are you giving it to God? Are you giving it to God? Are you taking your stand and saying, here, I stand. I will not. I cannot be moved. My Lord is God, and there is none other. Fear, you have no place in this vessel. This vessel was fashioned for the presence of the Lord. And devil, you have no authority here. There it is. Faith, faith, faith. Our faith is fueled by the promises, the person, and the presence of an almighty God. Faith starts out before you know how it's going to turn out. Real faith is far more than mere positive thinking. It is a personal relationship with your heavenly Father who desperately understands you, and even more so, he desperately loves you. Loves you. And he will never leave you or forsake you. I'm talking about our God who cannot and will not fail you. Write it down. Our faith is fueled and our fears are overcome through prayer and praise. If you want to starve out your fears... And if you want to feed your faith, listen to what the Word of the Lord declares. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Just like what Jesus said. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Hey, next time you sleep at night, and then you wake up at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and you can't fall back to sleep because of the worries of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Anybody ever be there? Huh? I got both my I got a prescription for you. Rather than going to the pill box, rather than a pill, go to the gospel. Turn to Acts chapter 16 when you can't fall asleep and read, read about Paul and Silas who had a close encounter of the demonic kind. 
They cast a demon out of a fortune-telling girl, and then the slave owners of that fortune-telling girl, once she was delivered and she lost her demonic power, they accused Paul and Silas. They brought them before a kangaroo court. They were there falsely judged, falsely accused. They were tortured. They were beaten with wooden rods. Their backs were bloodied, battered, and bruised, and they were locked in the secure, inner security dungeon of a Philippian jail. And at the midnight hour, the darkest hour, I submit to you it's the devil's hour. What do we find Paul and Silas doing? Are they despairing? Huh? Are they depressed? Are they discouraged? Are they defeated? Is Silas leaning over to Paul and saying, another fine mess you got us in, Paul. What are they doing? What are they doing at the devil's hour? Acts 16, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, circle that, and sang praises unto God. Was it Presbyterian praise? Nothing against my Presbyterian brothers and sisters. Love them. God bless them. But was it Presbyterian praise or was it Pentecostal praise? My Bible and your Bible says, and the whole jail heard them. The whole prison heard them. It was loud, expressive, hallelujah, holy ghost, inspired praise and worship. They prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. And God said to his angels, look at my servants, Paul and Silas. They're not depressed. They're not discouraged. They're not despairing. They're not defeated. Go on down there, angels. Four of you go down and lift up the four corners of that jailhouse and begin to rock it. It was the first jailhouse rock. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that God so shook that place. Every prison door flung open. The chains fell off. Every prisoner was set free. And the jailer came to Paul and Silas and said, What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your entire family will be saved. Hallelujah. It was a miracle because of praise and prayer. Your praise and prayer will break through to the person in the presence of God, which is that peace that passes all understanding. Paul said in the last days, perilous times will come. I don't have to tell you that. You just watch your evening news. Now we don't know what bathroom to go into. One of my children, one of my children just called into a national radio talk show on this whole uh, transgender issue in bathrooms. And uh, one of my children, I won't tell you her name, she said, so what next? If, we, if somebody feels that they're a dolphin, we'll have to build dolphin bathrooms? You know, that's not far-fetched. I was listening to Rush Limbaugh the other day, and a guy called in, and he said, I'm all upset about the focus on transgenderism. He said, I, I I'm sincerely feel that I'm possessed by the spirit of a wolf. And those of us that are, are really an animal in a, locked in a human body, we ought to be respected as well. The absurdity of where this is all going. Paul said, 
in the last days, perilous times will come. <laughs> but as we approach the days ahead, we can walk with fear or we can walk with God confidence. Uh, knowing that our God reigns. Knowing that we're on the winning side and everything's going to be alright. So stop feeding your fears and start seeking your Lord. Stop focusing on your problems and start praising the problem solver. Stop telling God how big your storm is and start telling your storm how big your God is. Hallelujah, church. Feed your faith. Starve your fears. God's answer for the enemy's fear attack is the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken, the spoken, the spoken. Say that with me. Spoken Word of God. It's not the printed Word of God. It's not the written Word of God. It's when you speak it. you got to speak it. You have to get it out. It's not a shout until you get it out. Scripture's clear on this. Ephesians 6, 17, when the Holy Spirit goes to battle in and through your life, what does He go to battle with? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word, the spoken, the spoken Word of God. It means that for your fears, you need to recite, you need to confess, you need to declare the Word of the Lord, the promises of God, which are yea and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you have the fear of failure? Take your stand, take your stand every morning and declare, I know the plans you have for me, Lord. Plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Plans to give me a hope and to give me a future. You need to confess that day in and day out. Are you haunted by the, the, the fears of rejection? That you'll end up all alone. I want to remind you that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Others might abandon you, desert you, and divorce you. But my God, my God, my God will be faithful to me and to you. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Are you haunted by the fear of poverty? I want to remind you who your provider is. Your provider is not Wall Street. Your provider is not Detroit's big three. And your provider is definitely not the White House, but his house. And he has declared within his word, and you need to declare it, I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. For my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you haunted by the fear of the unknown? Are you haunted by the uncertainties, the what-ifs of life? It's the fear of the unknown that drives people to horoscopes, astrology, palm readers, psychic hotlines, Ouija boards. There's an occultic game for you. I want to remind you that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and, and, and forever. God is in your tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. An omnipresent God who can be everywhere at once is already in our tomorrows, making a way where there seems to be no way, ordering the steps of the righteous and turning to the good that which was intended for the evil. 
Put down your horoscopes. Because God's word says in 2 Timothy, For I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hallelujah. Disconnect your psychic hotlines. Put down your Ouija boards and start reading God's words. Start trusting God. If God said it, then believe it, receive it, obey it, and declare yourself that settles it. We don't know about tomorrow, but we know the one who holds tomorrow in his hands, and he can be trusted. He's a good God, <laughs> and he desperately loves us. All the world this week, all of our culture was shocked. We somehow think that the popular the prestigious, the prosperous, the powerful are exempt from death. And the whole world was shocked at the death of 57-year-old or the star that was formerly known as Prince. Prince we somehow think they're not supposed to die, that they're larger than life. But the fact is, if you put your hand on your chest right now, honey, sir, ma'am, young person, you can't control the next heartbeat. You have no control over it. You don't know about the next second. Solomon said, for everything, there is a time and there is a season. There is a time to be born and there is a time to die. The day and the date of your death, it cannot be negotiated, it cannot be negated, it cannot be nullified. The absolute fact of life is death. The statistics are quite impressive. One out of one people die. Now, you can be stalked by death. You can be haunted by the fear of death. But for the believer, hallelujah, for the Christian, we can stand upon God's word that declares in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've discovered a secret to true happiness. Only those who are prepared to die are really prepared to live. Amen. Are you prepared to die? For the Christian, it holds no fears. Only joy beyond description. And that makes life so sweet. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm here to tell you that today is the day of salvation. Today is a day to get right with God. Don't wait for tomorrow. Today is a day to choose Jesus. Isn't it time to invite Jesus to come into your life, to sit upon the throne of your heart, to rule and reign in you? Isn't it about time? You said yes to the lover of your soul and be prepared 
to die so that you might really live. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How are you dealing with your fears? The answer is not found in a $150 an hour session on the psychiatrist's couch. They have their place, and I do not demean or denigrate the counseling arts, but it's not the ultimate answer. How are you handling your fears? The answer is not found in a bottle of Jack Daniels. The answer is not found in a pill, but in a person, the third person of the Holy Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. For fears on Holy Spirit, write it down. Let God breathe into you the fresh life and power of His Holy Spirit. On the day that the church was birthed and born, what can we say about that group that had huddled together in that upper room? Were they ready to take on the world for Jesus Christ? Were they ready to walk into the Colosseum be jawed to death by lions? Who was together in that upper room on the day that the church was born? A group of deserters. They had abandoned, they'd ran out on their only Lord and Savior. They left Jesus all alone. Doubting Thomas was there. Oh yes. Peter, who had denied his only Savior, his only Lord, he was there. But in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one accord, in one place, and then there came a sound from heaven. Hallelujah. And God breathed upon them the breath of heaven, the breath of His Spirit. It was the Spirit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ the same spirit that had faced down Pilate and Herod, the same spirit that stood silent as they whipped him and nailed him to a cross, the same spirit that had conquered hell, death, and the grave and robbed Satan of his trophies. You and I, the spirit of Jesus, ruling and reigning, filled them as wind and fire was breathed upon them by an almighty God. And my Bible and church history records they turned their world upside down. 
maybe I should say they turned their world upside right for the glory of God because God breathed upon them. He breathed upon them. Stand with me this morning. Quietly stand with me. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Fresh wind. Fresh fire. Too long, too long, too long. You've been using the world's methods. Too long you've been Googling to find the answer, the solution. Too long you've been popping pills instead of calling upon fresh wind. God can do in one second what you've been paying for for years and haven't yet found the health and the healing. He can do it in one second. When God first breathed, He breathed into Adam. And the Bible says Adam became a living soul. God next, the Bible says, breathed upon His church and they were filled with fresh wind, fresh faith, fresh life. Birthings should be the most joyous event of all. I was with my wife, Becky, at our first birthing. It didn't, it didn't unfold like we expected. It didn't happen as we had planned. Julie was a preemie. We were in shock. Usually when the doctor pulls a baby out of a mother's womb, there's the spank and, and, and there's the, the crying, there's breath, there's life. Horror upon horrors, nightmare upon nightmares. You've heard me share the story. When Julie came out of her mother's womb as a preemie, I've never seen it before or since. Her whole body was a deep blue, a dark purple. And she wasn't making a sound. She wasn't breathing. They hustled me out of the room. They quick put her in an emergency vent and got her on man-made oxygen for the next 10 days in the children's hospital, the special neonatal unit. Yet she still wasn't turning around. She was not improving. And it was the, you've heard me share the miracle testimony. I had one hand on the steering wheel and one hand towards heaven on the lodge freeway. And I said, I'm done being consumed with fear. I'm done focusing on the problem. I'm going to praise the problem solver. And in the midst of prayer and praise and singing in the Spirit on the Lodge Freeway, I turned that car around. I went back to the neonatal unit. They met me at the door. They said, there's been a miraculous, amazing turnaround. Your daughter's breathing on her own. Hallelujah. There's a personal pollution, a smog that enters our life. It's a cloud of fear and worry. 
that wants to short circuit us from God's best. It wants to short circuit us from the presence and the power of God. And God has so much more for you and I. And I believe right now, right now, right now in this place, God is wanting to do something special in your life here this morning. God is wanting to do the miraculous. God is wanting to breathe into you fresh wind here this morning and remove the L.A. sinful smog from your life. Fear smog, worry smog, the personal pollution, fresh wind, fresh faith, fresh life. How many, like your pastor, you're hungry for fresh wind here this morning? How many, how many stand with me? Lord, I thank you for what you did yesterday. I thank you for the, the victories of yesterday. I thank you, Lord, for what you did yesterday. But Lord, I stand today and I need a fresh touch. I need a fresh anointing. Come, Holy Spirit, rend the heavens and come on down and breathe on me. Breathe on me. Breathe on me. If you want to join me down here at this altar this morning, I'm not going to do anything high-pressured or compelling. If you want to join your pastor down here at this altar right now for fresh wind, fresh life, fresh faith, come right now and join me if you would. Sing it with us. Let him breathe on me. Let him 